It's Friday, March 15th. Whoa, wait. March 15th. Is that not the Ides of March? In fact, it is. I had, I did, it did not click in my head that today is the Ides of March, the, uh, the anniversary, the marking of the assassination of Julius Caesar. Crazy. Absolutely crazy. How are you all doing this week? It is, uh, I stepped outside today. And it is beautiful outside. the The weather has finally like hit that. It's finally cracked. It's hit that turning point where it's finally going to be nice for a little while, you know, or it's going to be nicer more of the time. And I, I really look forward to it. Like I stepped outside, you, and I expected to feel a little bit of a chill, you know, so, something like you know, like like a like not terribly uncomfortable cold but you know just that sharp pang of cold in the air wasn't there was not there it was uh, it was just beautiful crisp cool air in the morning it's gonna be nice to shut off the the heater in the house and and have literally no air pumping in at all opening the windows and allowing the fresh air to come in it's gonna be great it's a great turning point and we've had some new improvements and developments in the house of fritz it's uh the, the bedroom floor is done. The bedroom floor is done. The bedroom's been set back up. And the only major project I have this weekend is to cut a couple of the planks for the uh, closets. That's the one thing I never did was uh, cut the closet flooring. And that's going to be easy because I only have to worry about cutting two planks to fit in the doorway. And the other planks are just long slabs that... Get to fit in the closet, and that'll get pinned down by uh, baseboards and quarter rounds and all that jazz to make it look fancy. So I'm I'm happy to report that that's done. Uh, it's been nice to be back in a bed, uh, especially with a pregnant wife. I mean, not that the couch was terrible. It is a big couch. It's made for uh, comfy lying around and sleeping and, su- and such. It's not the first time that we've uh, fell asleep on the couch and stayed on the couch, but... Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, nothing beats your bed, right? Nothing beats that that comfort of lying in your bed. In your bedroom and not in your living room. Uh, so I'm happy to report that's done. The closet will take all of two seconds this weekend. And then the big project for, the, for those rooms is getting uh, baseboards, quarter rounds, uh, shoring them up and, and making sure everything looks nice and, and nice and tight. Uh, the nursery room for future baby Fritz, as we'll refer to it for right now, uh, or my offspring. Uh, I, I like we got to go with something nerdy. So uh, offspring's good. Uh, th- that'll work. Uh, the, the the only things that we have to do in the nursery now is uh, I probably have to tear up some of the drywalling. And put in new drywalling. Which is annoying, but you know what? It's for the baby. It's for the it's for the children. It's for the children and the baby. So it'll be worth it. It'll be worth doing it. As much as it will be a pain in the butt 
uh, because I only have several months to go. It's funny how fast time flies. Like, we were just figuring out January 1st that she, that, that my wife was pregnant, and then getting it confirmed, and then going through ultrasounds, and watching this thing, watching, watching this whole process go from a little dot on a screen with a flickering heartbeat. Which, by the way, it touched my heart. It really did the first time I saw it. Uh, like, my heart... Something hit me in the chest. And I mean in a good way. I mean, you know, one of those, like, stunning life realization ways. Seeing that little heartbeat flickering on the screen on nothing more than a dot. And then to go back weeks later and, and watch that dot turn into, you know, this little tiny... You know, baby-looking thing. It, it, like the first couple of weeks, definitely not baby-looking thing. Second couple of weeks, yeah, you know, the, the next round of weeks, definitely baby-looking thing. And it kicks and it moves, and it's really funny because, like, one of the ultrasounds that we went to, the 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 technician, I guess you could say, you know, it's probably nurse or whatever, but. They probably call them, like, ultrasound technicians or whatever. She's sitting there trying to get a good angle of the baby because she has to take a measurement of something. And this, this child, this, this this unborn baby, would not cooperate with, with the tech. She's sitting there, like, jiggling my wife's stomach. Like, come on. I need to, I need to see a certain angle. Come on. Work with me. Work with me here. And it was just... It, it was a stunning revelation of... It was another realization that this definitely is our child because the child was being stubborn. <laughs> the child's being stubborn, and me and the child's mother are very stubborn people. So, uh, the only updates I have on that front are that uh, everything is still progressing as it should. So, and we are just uh, me and my wife are just ecstatic and happy every every turn of the page. We're just happy that everything's going uh, as it should right now for the time being and um and we're feeling truly blessed uh over it and we are you know slowly like i said slowly but surely the house is becoming prepared slowly but surely every time we go shopping you know we buy a pack of diapers just so that it could be off to the side ready to use things like that i'm reading baby books i'm reading all this stuff researching all the stuff my wife is sending my way which can i guess in some ways, drive you crazy, but but it, you know it is what it is. Uh, I've got uh, I've got the time to read it and research it, and I want to be prepared as prepared as I can be for the thing that you can never be prepared for. Uh, there's so much to prepare you, um, and then then it comes in its real life, and you're you're going through all the things as prepared as you can be, but still feeling. Just grossly underprepared for it. I've I've come to find that that is what happens in life. You you try to prepare, you try to make things ideal. You can never make things ideal. You can only do so much, and then the real deal is there, and the real deal is literally learning on your feet, and and doing well with that too. So one of the interesting revelations that I had this week also before I dive into any of the other politics and nuanced stuff is that uh, it was actually on my Twitter. I tweeted out, I've been reading, I've been rereading uh, Plato, The Republic, and it's because I love, I love philosophy. 
I love trying to think of think about the world and life and and how things work. I like that. I very much like Plato, Socrates, uh, political discourses. You know, where we go into Hobbes and Locke and uh, a ton of others. Like one of the the, the book I'm reading on Thomas Francis uh, Marr from Ireland, the immortal Irishman is what the book is called. Uh, he was another politi- definitely political philosopher, even though some people don't know of him or don't consider him a political philosopher of sorts. Definitely went through it living in Ireland at a time that England was trying to uh, crush it like a little unwanted bug. Um, so Plato, I find very interesting, and I find uh, an entertaining read. Believe it or not, I mean, that's the funny thing. You dive into the Republic, and the Republic is literally dialogue. Repu- the, the Republic by Plato is what podcasting is today. <laughs> Think about this podcast. This podcast is just me right now. Uh, we are. I have a couple of things in the works lining up, and maybe the stars will, will align and we can pull them off. Uh, that's why we won't dive into detail of what those things may be right now. But think of some of the other podcasts you listen to, especially ones with multiple hosts or roundtable discussions. It's people discussing things and people people getting interviewed, people discussing things, people, some of it's philosophy, some of it's politics, some of it's nonsense. The Republic is as if Plato was sitting there Writing out a dialogue, just like describing this dialogue between Socrates and and a bunch of other players in the room. So if anybody's wondering what we did before podcasts, it's what Socrates and Plato and Aristotle, it's what they all did back in the day. They did it, it just wasn't, they did it sans the technology. Can you imagine if they had the technology though? My God. I would be knee-deep in listening uh, to those dialogues. Absolutely. But before I get carried away, um, I'm not diving deep into my spiritual journey. Uh, not going to dive deep into it here. Uh, that's probably worthy of its own dedicated podcast episode, and I actually got my buddy uh, Jay from, from work who uh, is highly interested in talking about it uh, because... I was uh, more or less born into Mormonism. He more or less converted. And we're both in the same boat now. We're not active, participating members of the Mormon Church anymore. Uh, that's not to say that we don't have uh, certain ideologies from Mormonism that we like, certain ones that we think make sense and all that, but uh, we have more criticisms than anything, I would suggest, of, of the Church and all that. But... Uh, so, so in my spiritual journeying, you know, I never, I, I could never bring myself uh, to say that I'm an atheist because I, because I'm not an atheist. An atheist is somebody who stands before the crowd and proclaims that uh, they know there is no God. Uh, that is an atheist, or they just bluntly state that they do not believe in a God. Uh, so, so be it. Uh, but for me, I could never bring myself to. T- to say that to because it's not what I believe 
I, uh, on my Twitter profile, and uh, probably since 2008-ish, 2009-ish, I've considered myself an agnostic. Uh, and if you dive deep into agnosticism, uh, it, I mean, it's these are branches of philosophy. These are different ways that people think about things. So you have, you know, Christianity and those who believe in Christ and uh, and one God— Right, they have uh, the Catholics who believe in the Trinity uh, of the the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, um, and some of that can get confusing depending on who you ask or what ideology or what flow you're believing from it. Uh, and then you have a variety of other different religions, uh, whether it is uh, uh, Muslims uh, or Islam, uh, whether it's uh, Buddhism, Hinduism, uh, so many other different aspects and belief systems I I chose to classify myself as agnostic because I am somebody that believes that there is a god of some kind a higher power of some kind that over that's overseeing this thing uh, there's many things though that uh, you could say I rip it from Mormon ideology for example which might have in fact ripped it from other ideology as well, but uh, like one of the things I, I I keep from Mormon ideology is, is Mormonism always talks about free agency. God has given you free agency, which is your ability to choose, your ability to you're not a slave, you're not enslaved to God's opinion or God's declaration or what God wants you to do. You're not enslaved to it. You have the free will and choice to say, I'm going to do what God told me to do, or I'm not going to do what God told me to do. That It's a choice. The Mormon system, if I boil it down to just... so it's not in-depth for time purposes, would say that uh, God sent us all down here to test us uh, by giving us free agency to see what choices we would make and if they would be in line with what he would want or not what he would want. And we're not enslaved to what he would want us to do and because we're not enslaved to what he would want us to do, that means that we aren't uh, guaranteed salvation. That's the Mormon view. The Mormon view is that you, if you want salvation, you got to try. you got to at least try. Now, Mormonism also has a very different look on the afterlife. Uh, Mormonism, compared to other Christianity, most other Christianity would tell you heaven and hell. Heaven and hell, heaven and hell, heaven and hell, heaven and hell. Mormonism never left it at heaven and hell. Mormonism has three kingdoms. They call them kingdoms. There's the celestial kingdom. That's the highest kingdom. That's where God resides. You have the terrestrial kingdom, which is a step lower. God doesn't reside there, but it's still kingdoms. Very good people still go there. It's not a hell. It's not 100% heaven, though. And then you have the telestial kingdom, which it likened to this very earth. The telestial kingdom in, in Mormonism is is a mimic of this very earth, and this is where the people who uh, more or less failed went. You know, they're not they're not necessarily the worst people on the face of the planet, but they are the liars and the cheaters and the sinners. Then Mormonism has one branch off from these three kingdoms called outer darkness, and that is by the text of the Book of Mormon. Uh, the place that's reserved for the worst people that ever existed, 
forever. The guys that are cast out away from God. So apparently, in Mormonism, if you make one of these three kingdoms, you're not cast out from God. And Mormonism, if you dive deeper into the theology, also has the beliefs that you can actually work your way up in the kingdoms as well. That you could be in the telestial kingdom, but you could work your way up to the terrestrial kingdom and possibly the celestial kingdom. That's not a bad gig. Mormonism afterlife isn't the worst one thrown out there where there's other Christian religions who would say if you're not a member of this specific Christian religion, then you go to hell. And some of that is some of that is a bit extreme and bastardizing and and not wholly accurate as well. I understand that, but for purposes we're going to leave it at that. There there's some aspects of that from Mormonism I like. Mormonism also suggested that uh that our life uh, is eternal, period, and that we lived before we came to this earth. That we were, you know, disembodied souls, which is something that, uh, honestly, I've found Plato believes. Uh, but that's not the stunning revelation I had from, from Plato. Uh, if I can read uh, from my Twitter... Real quick, I'll read you the exact passage from the Republic that, that struck me. Especially considering that the Greeks had this whole, you know, pantheon of gods that they believed in. This was the interesting line. Uh, quote, Then of our laws laying down the principles which those who write or speak about the gods must follow, one would be this. God is the cause, not of all things, but only of good, end quote. And it really did strike me as, as left field because uh, the, in this chapter that, this, that I took this from, Socrates is actually talking about the pantheon of Greek gods and how the poets have taken liberties to write about the gods being petty, the gods uh, seeking to kill, the gods being deceptive, among other things. But... Socrates flirts with this idea of there might only be, you know, a god, like a supreme god. Monotheism, if you will. Which put him as an oddball at the time. I mean, at the end of the day, Socrates was ordered to be executed by the authority for refusing to accept the gods of the state and for corrupting the youth. So he was kind of a breakthrough for his time going around referring to God and not gods, number one. But number two, the chapter that talks about this is so profound. It is so profound for me in my religious, not my religious, my spiritual development, we'll say. One of these days I will do a big old episode on religion and what I feel about religion versus spirituality versus belief in God. Uh, And I'll break it down for you. The fact that Socrates believes that more or less these poets have blasphemed on the idea of what God is supposed to be. In Socrates' mind, God is perfection. God is good. Only good things can come from God because God cannot be deceptive. And 
it I mean it really paints a clearer picture for me in comparison to the fact that we have stories uh whether from the bible or theologies about god disguising himself or god wiping out an entire city or god uh sending an evil spirit or you know the, the weird stuff that confused me and confounded my mind in religion i never thought i would get clarity by buying plato the republic on that i thought when i was buying plato the republic i was just getting political philosophy had no idea it was going to be a grander view of philosophy. And it's really got me hooked now. I'm really sinking my teeth into it. So I'm looking forward to see what else I can uncover from that. And if you haven't read Plato or you want to get into it, I would suggest first and foremost you see if there's a second in Charles near where you live uh, because it's a great store. But even if you can't find that store, look at used bookstores. You could probably pick it. I picked up Plato... The Republic for like probably two dollars, two between two and five dollars, cheap, dirt cheap, for groundbreaking philosophy, uh, and outlook for real. Um, it might be hard for you to read if if you're not a dialogue kind of person, it it probably isn't your book, and you probably need to look a route that uh, I don't know sums it up better or presents the information better. But for me, I'm hooked. All right, so now on to the politics, and uh, I got to, again, refer to something that I put out on Twitter. Uh, this, th- What I put out on Twitter this week kind of blew up, uh, kind of got liked and shared. It depends on who you were, depends on what kind of person you were, and it depends on how you were reading my tweet as well. Uh, I tweeted out something about Tulsi Gabbard. Now, Tulsi Gabbard... Is uh is a Democrat from Hawaii representative used to be the DNC co-chairperson or vice chairperson, but she stepped down in 2016 when the shenanigans and chicanery were coming up with Hillary Clinton and all that. She backed away from the party, or wanting to be on that committee at least. Anyway, she backed away for wanting to do it and being opposed to it. And in turn, right now, before I even dive into my my thing i want to read you the monmouth 2020 poll that was posted um ryan stroyick of cnn uh posted this up from monmouth 2020 uh on the 11th all right this is the these are the numbers right now biden sits at the top at 28 percent uh sanders sits at 25 percent then we go into significant cuts harris has 10 percent Warren, surprisingly, somehow has 8%. The fake Indian has 8%. O'Rourke, the fake uh, Latino, has five, has 6%. Cory Booker, I am Spartacus, has 5%. Klobacher has 3%. And going nowhere with a name like Klobacher. Castro, <laughs> not... Fidel, hold hold your laugh. It's not Fidel Castro has one percent. De Blasio has one percent. Hickenlooper has one percent. Yang, oh, I'm going to talk about Yang in a minute. Has one percent, and then less than one percent is Bennett, uh, Buttigieg, uh, Gabbard, Gillibrand, Inslee, McAuley, uh, Williamson, and Bullock and Delaney sit at zero percent. And then that doesn't even factor in independents like Charles Schultz and uh, somebody who might want to primary Donald Trump. We'll talk about him, too, in a minute. But I put out something on Tulsi Gabbard uh, 
at, which as of right now sits at 12, reti- 12 retweets, 46 likes, and 10 comments. So it hasn't been ratioed, mind you. It has not been ratioed yet. But I wrote in quotes, how could a libertarian person like a candidate like Tulsi Gabbard? And then I said, well, if, some, if, I, if I somehow got boiled down to a single issue voting right now, here's a killer reason. And I'm going to play you the audio from the clip right now. As president and commander in chief, I will end these regime change wars. I will work to end this new cold war. And this nuclear arms race that is costing us trillions. And again, take those resources, those limited resources, and use uh, them to serve the needs of people here. Which, which wars would you end when you're talking? I mean, that, that's a lot that you just laid out there. It, it is a lot, but this is the threat that we're facing. Uh, regime change wars that we are seeing still being carried out in Syria. Regime change wars that this current administration is threatening to carry out in countries like Venezuela laying down the groundwork to carry out a regime change war uh, in Iran. We see throughout decades how this policy has persisted through both Democrat and Republican administrations and the negative impact that these wars have caused. Now, and, and I think on the face value you know, of that comment, people really like... People really like that sentiment. People really do agree with it. However, it's funny, most of the mainstream options you have in the both the Democrat and the Republican Party aren't really against the regime change. Aren't really against wars and interfering in foreign affairs at that level. Um, that, that being said, she's not a darling, you know, she's not a darling to libertarians. Um in any in any stretch of the imagination. Some people who were commenting, like uh, a good friend on, on Twitter, Virus Empathy, was saying, no, she's pro big government, uh it can never get big enough, uh she wants to break up banks, intro tougher gun laws. Um you know, many libertarians are pro life and she's uh, all in on Planned Parenthood. Um you know, and some people were throwing flack my way, which this is a discussion forum. It's Twitter. You can do whatever you want to my tweet. But I think people were reading a little too deeply into it because I said, if I somehow got boiled down to single issue voting right now, that this clip would be a killer reason why I would support Tulsi Gabbard. I didn't qualify that by, you know, Diving in the detail that it would take a lot, and I mean a lot, to become a single-issue voter. I'm not a single-issue voter. I'm not. Some people think single-issue voting is dumb. Some people think that it's important. It all depends. It all depends on different people's perspectives. Uh, What would boil me down to be a single-issue voter in terms of regime change and wars and all that? Uh, I can tell you right now, if world tensions spiked and it seemed as though America going to war in a foreign area was imminent and not for the protection of our nation and, and our domestic interests, it's, I, you know, could I possibly be boiled down to it? Maybe. It's not at that degree yet. 
we're not there yet, but we have several things in the world going on and several ideas coming to the front that make it concerning. And the, the thing is, is that I'll support and I'll push Tulsi to be a voice in there to force people to address it and to force people to acknowledge it and to force people to talk about it. Which is, I think, a strategy that we all should be behind. I think everybody should be behind wanting somebody who is a voice on critical issues such as that one. Yeah, we might not be allies on a ton of other stuff. And I'll fight against you vehemently on that stuff. But if it's a really key important issue like that one, I want to reach my hand out and hold it with yours and say, on this we're agreed. On this, let's roll the ball on this. Now, am I going to vote for Tulsi Gabbard? I mean, she's not even she's not even pulling at 1%. If anything, you could compare her to what Rand Paul was in the 2016 election, a guy sitting there getting 4% of the vote or 4% of the interest. So sometimes I think people just read a little too deeply you know, into the tweets. I mean, like, I know it's 280 characters. You can't put a lot of depth and substance in it. That's why people go on big tirade Twitter threads that go 15, 20, 30 tweets deep on a subject. But that's just something to keep in mind, people. Something to keep in mind. That being said, I think I mentioned, uh, I think I mentioned somebody who might want a primary... Donald Trump, correct? An exploratory committee to pursue the possibility of my running for the presidency of the United States as a Republican, we cannot sit passively as our precious democracy slips quietly into darkness. All right, that is former Massachusetts Governor Bill Weld announcing an exploratory committee to challenge President Trump for the Republican nomination in 2020. In his speech, Governor Weld said Republicans in exhibit in Washington exhibit all the symptoms of Stockholm syndrome, and he is doing his part to stand up to the schoolyard bully, end quote. Joining us now is former Governor Bill Weld. Good morning, Governor. Thank you, Allison. Good to be with you. So what was it for you? What was the straw that broke the camel's back that, that made you think now is time to jump into this? Well, I think now is the time because the New Hampshire primary is one year away. Time's uh, time's a wasting if one's going to make a serious effort to have the actual issues discussed as opposed to a bunch of political palaver and slogans and infighting in Washington. Now's the time to do it. But was there something that President Trump did that made you think, yes, I'm going to get in? I mean, when you say that he's too unstable to carry out the duties of higher office, what was it? How so? You know, one moment does stick in my mind, and and that's the time when the president uh, shooed all the U.S. press out of the Oval Office and brought in uh, Ambassador Kislyak uh, from Russia and Sergei Lavrov from Russia to have his summit meeting with them, with nobody present except TASS, which is the Russian state press organ. That showed contempt for the American people, if anything I've ever seen does. He shared classified information during that. Yeah, no, it just gets worse and worse. And the president does not exhibit uh, curiosity about history or even world events. Uh, It troubles me that 
He, uh, uh, you know, he abroad, he seeks out the company of people who are dictators and despots, people like Vladimir Putin, like uh, President Kim of North Korea. He said of President Kim, oh, what a, what a great, strong kid. He iced his uncle, he even iced his own brother. I mean, this is mob talk with which I had some familiarity from my days in the Justice Department. And so was that the moment when you saw what he did in the Oval Office with sharing <clears throat> classified information, was that the moment where you thought, I think I'm going to primary. I'm going to try to uh, launch a primary attack on him. There was not one moment. I, I do think the president has shown a tendency to associate with autocrats. I think his domestic instincts are in the same direction. I recall him saying on television, wouldn't it be great if we didn't have to have elections? I'm sure he will say that was a joke. I'm not so sure it was a joke. I mean, the, the response to my announcement of an exploratory committee has been for everybody to close ranks among the state Republican parties and say, no, we can't have a primary. And the truth is, if the president had his first choice, he wouldn't have a primary and he wouldn't have an election. Aside from that last bold line, um, I'm not surprised what Bill Weld is doing here. Mind you, this is the guy that uh, for a while people were thinking was going to be the 2020 libertarian nominee for the presidency, except for the fact that uh, Bill Weld kind of just, you know, was solicited for his ability to money raise and, and things like that. Bill Weld did bring in the money for the Libertarian Party, uh, but now he's underselling the impact that uh, he and Gary Johnson had on the election last year, or not last year, but in 2016, um, and it's completely turned, you know, obviously not sticking with the Libertarian Party, and launching exploratory committees with the Republican Party. If he wants to do that, great. I'm I, I'm for somebody challenging it because we are. I mean, like the Republican Party died back in 2016, running for this thing because they sold out for MAGA. They sold themselves out for winning, and it doesn't matter now. It it doesn't matter because Trump doesn't Trump doesn't helm a unified Republican Party. It's dead. It's dead. It doesn't hold its principles anymore. It's gone. It's in the name of MAGA and winning. We've already proven a couple of different times over that Rand Paul stepping up and objecting to the emergency power being used to complete the border and reallocate money as being a means that initially was unconstitutional. But people don't care now because it's their party in power. It's their man with the power. And he is doing what they want done, which is just something that was written on the books as law anyway. But I've already played clips from Rand Paul and Justin Amash and other people like that. But it's even funnier because then you'll have Ben Sass, who's very wavery in this territory, even though I like him at times. Ben Sass came out and defended Trump's emergency declaration, which got conservatives in the ire. What? I don't understand this world anymore. This world is, we got fists up and we're throwing punches at each other and at the other side. That's what we're doing. So could Bill would Bill Weld make any sort of impact whatsoever? No, I don't think so. And it doesn't harm Trump because it just makes it more of Trump's game. Trump can come out and say, can you believe this? I'm getting primaried. Can you believe it? Wacky Weld. Wacky Weld is up here primarying me. No president has had to deal with what I've had to deal with. Watch it. 
Watch it, Wacky Weld. You heard it on FritzCast first. That being said, I, I could go through the plethora of other candidates. I could go through Andrew Yang. I could go through uh, a bunch of other things. Um, I could go through Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. And in fact, I do want to touch up on Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. I, I, re- I'm reminded that... Um, I'm reminded that I bookmarked a tweet from a gentleman... Yep, yep, we're going to talk about AOC As much as I don't want to talk about AOC for a minute This is a little clip from um, From a hearing that involved Wells Fargo Wells Fargo CEO He was asked by Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez while the bank, why, the, why the bank is involved in the caging of children And why the bank Was involved in Funding the pipelines and why the bank shouldn't be responsible for cleaning up potential leaks from the pipelines. Unanimous consent to submit three reports highlighting uh, the bank's role in debt financing these groups, the for profit prison companies running ICE detention facilities. Without objection, such is the order. Um, Mr. Sloan, why was the bank involved in the caging of children and financing the caging of children to begin with? Uh, I, I don't know how to answer the, that question because we weren't. Uh, so in finance, you you were financing and involved in debt financing of CoreCivic and Geo Group, correct? For, for a period of time, we were involved in financing one of the firms. We're not anymore and the other. I'm not familiar with the, the specific uh, assertion that you're making, but we weren't directly involved in that. Okay. So these companies run um, private detention facilities run by ICE. Which, uh, which is involved in, in caging children. But I'll, I'll move on. That was just the one clip. The, the, the one clip where she was trying to make it that uh, Wells Fargo was involved in the caging of children. And then um, the other clip about the pipelines and the cleanup. So hypothetically, if there was a leak from the Dakota Access Pipeline. Mm-hmm. Uh, why shouldn't Wells Fargo pay for the cleanup of it if, since it paid for the construction of the pipeline itself? Because we don't operate the pipeline. We provide financing to the company that's operating the pipeline. Our responsibility is to ensure that at the time that we make that loan, that that, that customer, and we have a group of people in Wells Fargo, including an environmental oversight group headed by one of my colleagues who used to be at the EPA. Uh, so one question, our- why did Wells Fargo finance this pipeline when it was widely seen to be environmentally unstable? Uh, again, the reason that we were one of the 17 or 19 banks that financed that is because our team reviewed the environmental impact, and we concluded that it was it was a risk that we were willing to take. And that actually went longer than that, too, uh, with a back-and-forth where Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez tried to allude that there was cleanups and spills on the pipeline that didn't even, that weren't even there, that didn't even exist. But she believes, apparently, that if Wells Fargo finances the pipeline, that if there should be a leak, if something should happen, they should be financially responsible for the cleanup, despite the fact that they are not the ones operating 
said thing. Which begs the question, it might be on a different scale or whatnot, but if if me, as, as a person leasing a car, if I lease a car, and then I get drunk, or I drive recklessly, or I do something stupid, does the bank, is the bank responsible for the damage that I cause? And the answer is ultimately no, the bank is not responsible, because the bank just assured that I could borrow their money and pay their money back. That that was the bank's job. The bank's job was to say, you know what? Uh, Fritz is in good financial standing. He can handle these, these car payments. And so we're going to give him the money because well, we'll give him the money. He gets his car. He can make his payments. Maybe he pays a little more each month and it screws us out of a little bit of interest, but we still make some money off of it. And then, oh, crap, Fritz was driving like an asshole, and he was on his phone, and he plowed into a family of four people and, and killed them. You know, so are they responsible for my actions? No, I'm responsible for my actions. I'm responsible for my actions, and the money that pays for the accident, or the reckless driving on my case, the, the, the money that pays for that is insurance money. Insurance money that people, that motorists get. Insurance money. So insurance companies handle those payments. Uh, why would that not be in the case in the pipeline? Does the pipeline have an insurance uh, policy? Which I'm sure it probably does. I'm sure that's some other business aspect that, that's in there. And then on top of all that too, mind you, as the uh, Wells Fargo CEO stated, uh, as Mr. Slate stated, uh, Wells Fargo was one of something along the lines of 17 to 19 institutions that provided financing for a pipeline. So, w- w- what was what was Alexandria Casio Cortez's angle? Is she, as some people would say, is she just stupid? Um, I'm not going to say she's stupid. I'm not going to say she's stupid uh, because Kevin Boyd, he's a guy that I follow on Twitter. Um, who is a classic liberal, a libertarian populist, a writer, a researcher, and a commentator from the great state of Louisiana, Kevin Boyd, pointed out um, something uh, rather rather clever uh, in a tweet in response to the, the bank being involved in the caging of children and the bank being involved in oil spill cleanups, he says, quote, nearly all of the conservatives and libertarians are missing the point of this exchange. So the point of this exchange by Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and her Justice Dems handlers is to intimidate banks into loaning money only to projects that they approve of. But she's counting on you to not know that. End quote. And it was actually, in all, in all terms, actually kind of brilliant. Um, too many people write off Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. She's she's fun to make fun of. Everybody pokes fun at her. Everybody calls her names. Everybody uh, questions her sanity, right? Um, her constituents love her. There's a big wing of the progressive left that loves her. And what else? She's in power. Ilhan Omar's in power, despite the fact that the Democrats are already talking about letting somebody primary her. Uh, that wave of young Democrat is in right now. And, of course, they're going to go all in. Why not go all in in a, in a strategy that 
would not be seen on the surface or just at a passing glance. I mean, how many people watched more than just clips of this hearing anyway? And how many people even watched clips of this hearing? And how many people even cared that this hearing went on? Not many, but it was a chance for Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and the Justice Democrat panel to have a CEO of a bank in front of them and to soft intimidate them in ways that, oh yeah, we might be questioning you in the future and and thinking like maybe you should be financially responsible. Maybe that little scare in your head will stop you from financing certain people, have a little more scrutiny, things like that. It didn't didn't occur to me that that could be a strategy uh, at all. So that's something for you to chew on and think about over the course of these upcoming weeks. That's going to do it for me today. Guys, thanks. For listening to the FritzCast, I know you have a plethora of podcast choices, oftentimes even suggested by me, but you choose me time and again. Thank you for for stopping in. If you're not following me on Twitter, follow me at FritzQS, Facebook.com slash TheFritzCast. And if you need to get in touch with me, FritzCastPodcast at gmail.com. Shout out to my friends Sarcasm and Liberty, Political Otters, uh, The Mod Podcast, just to name a few. Check all those people out. Check my Twitter this weekend for some people to follow and keep in touch with and to keep your eye on. And remember, I love you, and I'll see you next week.